0: Section 3 of Global Trends 2030 Alternative Worlds by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 1, Part 2 Megatrend 3 Demographic Patterns. We believe that in the world of 2030, a world in which the growing global population Will have reached somewhere close to 8.3 billion people, up from 7.1 billion in 2012, four demographic trends will fundamentally shape, although not necessarily determine, most countries' economic and political conditions and relations among states. These trends are aging both for the west and increasingly most developing states a still significant but shrinking number of youthful societies and countries, migration, which will increasingly be a cross-border issue, and growing urbanization, which will spur economic growth but place new strains on food and water resources. Widespread aging. In 2030, age structures will range from extraordinarily youthful populations, median age 25 or younger, to populations that are longer lived than previously thought possible. The median age of almost all societies around the world is rising rapidly, except in sub-Saharan Africa. Aging countries face an uphill battle in maintaining their living standards, while more youthful ones have the potential, owing to the demographic dividend, to gain an economic boost if they can put the extra numbers of youth to work. OECD, high-income countries, will reach, as a group, a median age of 42.8 years by 2030, rising from an average of 37.9 years in 2010. Whereas in 2012, only the populations of Japan and Germany have matured beyond the median age of 45 years. By 2030, in a tectonic shift, a much larger group of countries is projected to have entered this post-mature category in Europe and East Asia. The populations of these countries will feature a large proportion of people over 65 years of age, an unprecedented pensioner bulge. At the same time, absent a large influx of youthful immigrants or an unlikely significant upturn in fertility, The working-age populations of these countries will decline in size and contain a relatively large proportion of middle-aged workers. Countries that are amassing a large proportion of seniors face the possibility of slower aggregate GDP growth, or stagnation. These post-mature states will be challenged to undertake cost-effective reforms of their retirement and health care programs and muster funding to adequately support needy retirees while maintaining the living standards of those families and taxpayers who support them. The retreat from pay-as-you-go pension and health care systems to more securely funded systems probably will create a political backlash as governments seek to reduce beneficiaries and benefits increase workers' contributions, and extend the required number of working years. Governments of post-mature countries could be pressured to vastly restrain discretionary state spending and impose a higher tax burden. Quote, countries that are amassing a large proportion of seniors face the possibility of a decline in economic productivity And slower aggregate GDP growth or stagnation. Some analysts expect aging societies to be risk averse and fiscally limited. These analysts contend that some European and rapidly aging East Asian states might conclude that they cannot afford to maintain a sizable military or extend their power overseas. For some low-fertility Western European countries that have poorly integrated Asian and African immigrants, the rapid growth of these minorities could erode social cohesion and promote reactionary politics. Most of these impacts are speculative, however. The magnitude of aging's effects and the ability of countries with well-developed institutions to minimize the negative impacts of aging are unknown. Advances in health care, which we examine later, are likely to improve the quality of life for some seniors, enabling them to work longer. The group of countries with mature age structures, median age over 35 and less than or equal to 45 years, will also grow larger by 2030 gaining East Asian states and losing some European ones to the post-mature category. For countries in the mature category, such as China, the advantages and opportunities of the demographic bonus will have largely faded, though those that invested heavily in human capital may prolong that bonus. Despite the fading of their demographic advantages, These countries will not yet have large proportions of seniors. They will, however, need to pay closer attention to creating sustainable pension and health care programs in order to avoid long-term risks to their development. In the United States and Russia, the advance of the median age and an increase in the proportion of seniors will proceed slowly. In the U.S., a high rate of immigration and a fertility level that is near replacement are slowing aging. In Russia, the high rate of deaths among young men because of tobacco use, alcohol abuse, and related accidents means that instead of aging, males especially are dying at a relatively young age in their 50s instead of living into their 60s and 70s as in other countries. Shrinking Number of Youthful Countries Today, more than 80 countries have populations with a median age of 25 years or less. As a group, these countries have an oversized impact on world affairs. Since the 1970s, roughly 80% of all armed civil and ethnic conflicts with 25 or more battle-related deaths per year have originated in countries with youthful populations. The demographic arc of instability outlined by these youthful populations ranges from clusters in the midsection of Central America and the Central Andes, covers all of Sub-Saharan Africa and stretches across the Middle East into South and Central Asia. By 2030, This arc will have contracted. Due to fertility declines that are well underway today, the tally of countries with youthful populations is projected to fall about 50 by 2030. The largest persistent cluster of youthful states is projected to be located along the equatorial belt of sub-Saharan Africa. A second, more diffuse group of youthful countries is projected to persist in the Middle East, including the Palestinian territories, West Bank and Gaza, and Jordan and Yemen in the region's south. In the Americas, only Bolivia, Guatemala, and Haiti are likely to retain their youthful populations. Along the Pacific Rim, this challenging condition is expected to persist in East Timor, Papua New Guinea, and the Solomon Islands. Among the U.S. Census Bureau's current projections for South Asia, only Afghanistan is projected to remain youthful by 2030. However, the aging that will occur among the large and growing populations in nearby Pakistan and India probably will mask youthful ethnic and regional populations that could remain a security concern. Youthful age structures are likely to persist for most of the next two decades among tribal populations in Pakistan's western provinces and territories. In Pakistan and Afghanistan, the rates of childbearing are probably greater than five children per woman among the Pashtun. In India, where the southern states and large cities have attained low fertility, youthfulness, which can contribute to instability in the absence of employment outlets, is likely to erode more slowly in the central northern states of Uttar Pradesh and Bihar. Kurdish fertility in southeastern Turkey appears to be stalled at about four children per woman. In Israel, the fertility of the diverse, ultra-Orthodox Jewish minority remains above six children per woman. The persistence of high rates of fertility and population growth among dissonant minorities is bound to perturb the political order, particularly as these populations become much larger. Although demography alone gives no clues, as to how countries will adjust to these population shifts. A new age of migration? The first globalization in the late 19th and early 20th centuries saw a massive movement of people within the European continent and from Europe to the New World. We will not see the same high proportion of migrants as in the first industrial revolution, But international migration is set to grow even faster than it did in the past quarter century. The factors promoting cross-border migration are likely to remain strong or intensify. These factors are globalization, disparate age structures across richer and poorer countries, income inequalities across regions and countries, and the presence of migrant networks linking sending and receiving countries. Internal migration, which will be at even higher levels than international migration, will be driven by rapid urbanization in the developing world and in some countries toward the end of our time frame by environmental factors and the impact of climate change. Climate change-driven migration is likely to affect Africa and Asia far more than other continents because of dependence on agriculture in Africa and parts of Asia, and because of greater susceptibility in Asia to extreme weather events. Drought-driven migration will be a gradual phenomenon. Our interlocutors in Africa pointed to the growing numbers of migrants already spilling over from the Sahel region as it experiences increasingly drier conditions. Flood-driven migration will wipe out homes and infrastructures and significantly increase the perception of the risk of staying. As with international migration, the specter of greater economic opportunities outside of local communities will be the biggest driver of internal migration. In China alone, nearly 250 million people are estimated to be internal migrants today. That number will continue to rise as more rural residents seek to raise their standard of living by moving to cities. Globalized Flows of Workers Migration is likely to become more globalized as demand for both skilled and unskilled labor soars in traditional and new destination countries for migrants. Currently, the top 10 countries hosting over half of the world's migrants are dominated by the G8, Opportunities for migrants to fill gaps in rich countries' labor forces will continue to exist, even as these countries' economic growth slows. In Germany, the number of young people aged 15 to 24 will fall by 25 percent, or about 2.5 million people by 2035. Japan's proportion of young people will decline by 25 percent or 3 million. Even in the U.S., although the number of young people will grow slightly, their percentage of the total population will decline from 14 to 12.8 percent in the next quarter century. Age and income disparities create a paradox. One would normally expect fast-growing economies to attract migrant labor, not to send it. However, where economic growth enables more young people to acquire the knowledge and resources to take advantage of migration opportunities, and those young people can earn higher incomes abroad than at home, many will choose to migrate to richer countries. The recently developed countries will offer numerous opportunities. Owing to rapid urbanization in the developing world, the volume of urban construction for housing, office space, and transport services over the next 40 years concentrated in Asia and Africa could roughly equal the entire volume of such construction to date in world history, creating enormous opportunities for both skilled and unskilled workers. Many emerging countries such as Brazil, China, and Turkey, whose youthful populations are declining, will attract migrants from low-income countries with youthful populations, for example, countries in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. Brazil, China, and Turkey have already seen sharp drops in fertility. Brazil's youthful population is projected to decline by 5 million by 2030. China's will drop by 75 million. Turkey's is expected to decline slightly by 2030. In theory, higher rates of migration would yield higher returns for global development. The World Bank estimates that a three percentage point increase in the stock of migrants by 2025 would lead to a 0.6% increase in global income, a gain of $368 billion with developing countries and migrants from those countries benefiting more than the natives of high-income countries. This is more than the gains from removing all remaining barriers to free trade. Increasingly, elites in developed countries are likely to consider migration policy as part of an economic growth strategy, particularly as competition grows for highly skilled employees. China may see some increase in outmigration as skilled workers seek opportunities in faster-growing countries, while China's growth slows as its population ages. China could, however, see a much larger flow of in-migration as it seeks workers to care for and support its aging society. Quote, the World Bank estimates that a three percentage point increase in the stock of migrants by 2025 would lead to a 0.6% increase in global income, a gain of $368 billion, more than the gains from removing all remaining barriers to free trade. End quote. Over time, governments may need to increasingly manage mobility rather than simply immigration, as more short-term movement occurs in addition to permanent migration. More people, particularly the highly skilled, will have their feet in more than one country's labor market. The rise of more global labor markets will create the need for international institutions to set new standards. For example, what happens to pensions and social and health benefits when people move? Will they keep their entitlements in a country they formerly worked in? The growing number of even medium-sized companies with far-flung international interests and networks will be a pressure group for changing national policies. The dividing line between permanent residency, which most migrants can qualify for, and citizenship, which is unattainable for many, could begin to blur. Countries may try to attract more highly skilled workers by offering permanent residence privileges, such as voting in local elections formerly reserved for full citizens. Technology, including widespread use of biometrics, will increase the capacity of countries to control entry, but greater information flows will enable more people to become aware of opportunities for work both nearby and in distant places. The internet and social media can also provide increased information on conditions in receiving countries and ways to better integrate migrants. Migrants are likely to remain attracted to immigrant communities with similar ethnic, religious, or national backgrounds, but the IT revolution ensures greater and more real-time linkages to friends and family members in migrant countries of origin. The attractiveness of a broader number of both developed and rapidly emerging countries could become a serious blow to poor countries if it leads to an increased and one-way flow of highly skilled individuals. Migration generates a considerable flow of remittances but a flood of skilled worker immigration has shown to harm development at home. Many countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, Central America, and the Caribbean show worrying levels of brain drain now, with some of these exceeding 30% of skilled workers. With the current exception of the Philippines, few sending countries are creating plans to protect migrants and enhance their abilities to succeed in recipient countries. Nigeria is a good example of potential upside and downside risks from migration for many aspiring states. Nigeria's increasingly favorable demographic conditions offer it the opportunity to escape from the economic stagnation it has seen in the post-independence period. If it collects its demographic dividend in full, it could see per capita incomes treble by 2030, lifting 80 million people out of poverty. Part of that economic success would involve experiencing continued high levels of migration as young Nigerians immigrate to acquire or hone their skills abroad before returning to join the growing middle class and contribute to the economic miracle at home. Policy failure, in contrast, could lead to a demographic disaster with economic underperformance and enhanced risks of strife and conflict, creating substantially increased incentives to migrate. Quote, Owing to rapid urbanization in the developing world, the volume of urban construction for housing, office space and transport services over the next 40 years could roughly equal the entire volume of such construction to date in world history, creating enormous opportunities for both skilled and unskilled workers." End quote. In the developed world, migration has the potential to increase fertility and reshape the population's age structure. If current levels of migration continue, for example, Most OECD countries can expect to see modest increases in their workforces. In only six OECD countries, the Czech Republic, Finland, Hungary, Japan, Poland, and the Slovak Republic, is the current model of immigration insufficient to compensate for a decline in the workforce. At the same time, the likely migration from Muslim countries with traditionally higher birth rates could create new political and social frictions. The Pew Foundation forecasts that Europe's Muslim population will double from 4.1% of Europe's total population today to 8% by 2030. France, Sweden, Austria, and Belgium Which already have the world's largest Muslim minorities, will have Muslim communities with 9 to 10 percent of their total populations. History has repeatedly demonstrated the power of migration. At best, migration could help harmonize the very different economic and demographic conditions that will be experienced by countries as the world moves toward its peak population. At worst, migration could be driven primarily by economic failure, not success, reemerging as both a cause and result of conflict within and between countries. The extent of the flows, potentially of tens of millions of people from the poorest developing countries to middle-income countries as well as to rich developed countries, creates the potential for huge human rights, abuses, and exploitation. Immigrant communities open up avenues for increased criminal activity, such as drug smuggling. The rapidly growing age and gender imbalances across developed and developing countries also increase the potential for greater human trafficking. Migration, unlike trade and other central features of increased globalization, is relatively unregulated by international agreements or cooperation. Immigration and border security is still largely with the exception of the Schengen area in continental Europe, seen as coming under the purview of the country, and not a subject for more international cooperation by most states in both the developing and developed worlds. The world as urban, in a tectonic shift, today's roughly 50% urban population, 3.5 billion urban of the world's 7.1 billion people will almost certainly climb to near 60%, 4.9 billion of the world's projected 8.3 billion. A sharp contrast to the largely rural world of 1950, when roughly 30%, 750 million, of the world's 2.5 billion were estimated to be urban residents. Between now and 2030, demographers expect urban population to grow most rapidly where rates of population growth are highest and where the urban proportion of the population remains relatively low in sub-Saharan Africa, now 37% urban, and Asia, near 50%, two regions currently on disparate economic paths. According to the UN, between 2011 and 2030, there will be an additional urban population of 276 million in China and 218 million in India which will together account for 37% of the total increase for urban population in 2030. Nine additional countries are projected to contribute 26% of the urban growth with increases ranging from 22 million to 76 million. The countries are Bangladesh, Brazil, Democratic Republic of the Congo, Indonesia, Mexico, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Philippines, and the U.S. In Africa, we expect urban formation and expansion to help drive several constructive developmental trends, including urban-centered economic growth, smaller family sizes, and higher average educational attainment. Rapid urbanization could therefore give a boost to Asia's and Africa's long-term competitiveness and social and political stability, or, if not mastered, could become their Achilles heels. Quote, the extent of the flows potentially of tens of millions of people from the poorest developing countries to middle-income countries, as well as to rich developed countries, creates the potential for huge human rights abuses and exploitation, end quote. The next two decades pattern of urban growth will look strikingly different from urban growth patterns of the late 20th century, dynamics that gave rise to most of today's 27 megacities, cities with a population greater than 10 million. Although UN demographers expect this count to continue to rise, these giants will, we believe, become further limited by physical land constraints and burdened by vehicular congestion and costly infrastructural legacies, entrenched criminal networks and political gridlock, and deteriorating sanitation and health conditions. The peri urban or urban areas will grow faster than city centers, as such areas provide cheaper land for housing and manufacturing. Metropolitan regions will spill over multiple jurisdictions, creating mega regions. By 2030, there will be at least 40 large binational and trinational metro regions. Cities have the potential to apply modern technologies and infrastructure. Some of the world's largest cities are taking measures to reduce their carbon footprint and be more conservative consumers of energy. Still, their growth will, we believe, promote substantial environmental and resource pressures. The growth of urban concentrations have historically Led to dramatic reductions in forest cover, adverse shifts in the nutrient content and microbial composition of soils, alterations in the composition of higher plants and animals, including local extinctions, and changes in the availability and quality of fresh water. In some studies, these impacts have been detectable at distances sometimes exceeding 100 kilometers from the nearest urban center. Many urban centers are also vulnerable to potential shocks from flooding, particularly given inadequate drainage systems. By 2030, few forested reserves, wetlands, and freshwater sources will be located on the perimeter of the impact zone of this fine-meshed urban network. Rapidly growing cities are likely to compete to secure freshwater catchment and land-for-housing growth, bringing greater prosperity to some nearby agriculturists, but setting up further tensions over freshwater rights, water quality, and urban expansion. These tensions will lead to legal battles, pressure for policy reforms, and public calls for state intervention, a situation already evident in China. According to the McKinsey Global Institute, MGI, demand for power in China's cities will more than double from today's level, accounting for roughly 20% of global energy consumption. India's power targets are also ambitious. If present trends continue, India's carbon dioxide emissions will grow and carbon emissions of South Asia as a whole will double by 2030. China will also nearly double. Water is likely to be as much of a challenge as energy for both giants. India's cities will need 94 billion liters of potable water that MGI and others estimate will not be easily available. Sanitation also will need to be upgraded. In many poor mid-sized cities, sewage collection coverage can be as low as 10 to 20%. Many transport infrastructures also are inadequate to absorb growth in mid-sized cities. Roads are neither wide enough nor sufficiently maintained to absorb expanding traffic. Urban centers are engines of productivity generating roughly 80% of economic growth. In much of Asia, Latin America, and Africa, large segments of the urban economy remain informal, outside the reach of business and labor laws, environmental regulation, and taxation. Similarly, only a fraction of utility consumption in these regions is metered and paid for directly. We expect the next two decades to witness unparalleled action by city governments in these regions to augment their power by taxing urban income flows and pricing utility use, an effort that will require the formalization of now-informal industries, and service providers, as well as the registration and taxation of consumers and land users. Quote, rapid urbanization could therefore give a boost to Asia's and Africa's long-term competitiveness and social and political stability, or, if not mastered, could become their Achilles heels. End quote. In 2030, urban politics might feature confrontations between government authorities on the one hand and tax evading entrepreneurs and informal markets on the other hand, as well as with squatters who maintain permanent residences. Local police are likely to escalate their efforts to extend their powers into established squatter settlements in some countries, particularly in Latin America and Sub-Saharan Africa. However, for formalization and policing to succeed, city governments in these regions will need to provide more services, hold police accountable for their actions, and extend representation to low-income residents. The confrontations of the coming decades will test the capacity of some urban governments. The Asian Development Bank, in fact, warned in its study of Asia in 2050 that, quote, better financing and management of cities will require long-term planning and visionary leadership, further decentralization of responsibility to local governments, more local accountability, and greater market financing of urban capital investments, end quote. End of Section 3. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.